Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's looking forward to the new episode of Jonathan Creek, when a magician's assistant tries to solve a mystery of what the hell happened to Alan Davis's career. <laughs> On today's... <laughs> Oh, there's oh fucking more God. of that to come. I tell oh, you. my God. There's, a, there's an avalanche coming. Absolutely, there is. On today's pod, we're, of course, mainly looking ahead to tonight's cup test at Swindon, a game that already had the feel of a potential banana skin under the Friday night lights. Now with City squad hit by COVID, it's a genuinely intriguing proposition. So let's get straight into it, because today I've been truly spoiled with guests, the Friday gang consisting of Asan and Chris. Hi, Asan, you well? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm very well too. Yeah, looking forward to a good weekend. Hopefully starting with a win tonight. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into it shortly, but kind of one word, confident or... Yes. I <laughs> love it. Okay. Chris, yes. are, are, you, are you similarly confident? Uh, I, I am, yeah. I just, I can't recall when we last played on a Friday night, so that's a bit of a novelty yeah. as well. Um, I, I just, I just think banana skins are, are, the, are kind of cliches, but they're cliches because <laughs> they, they are real, you know, yeah. they, they, they do exist. But no, I'm still, we, we have a strong enough team and I'm still, I, I, what I hope is that it's a really exciting game. And are you, uh, are you well in general? I am, yeah. I was back to work on Tuesday and it was like hitting the ground running. There was there was no slow emergence back into the workplace. It was like get busy straight away. So I'm I'm having to I'm not quite match fit in terms of work. So it's gonna take me yeah, <laughs> I think a, a, another week or so. But no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just glad it's a weekend. I did um Wednesday day and Wednesday night, and then Thursday day and Thursday night, and that's kind of typical of my week. You know, I have two days which is really busy. Because I haven't done it for a couple of weeks. I mean, that's exactly the right phrase. I was not match fit. It hit yeah. me like a sledgehammer last night. I was knackered. But yeah, yeah. soon pick it up again. Um, right, let's get into it. Swindon Town tonight. Um, the main talking point, the, the, the place we have to start, is the seven players out with COVID, plus Pep Guardiola not available, and 13 other members of staff. Um, Asan, where does this leave us? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the numbers sound a lot worse than they are, if that makes sense. Um, so, obviously, it's a blow not having Pep, uh, not having Pep's assistant, but Rodolfo Burrell is very, very experienced. Um, in terms of the first team, now look, uh, the names of the players that have got COVID have done the rounds, but I don't yeah. think that it's fair for us to publicly name them. Mm. But when I predict a team later it will give people an idea of those players who are available yeah no, that's fair that's fair i wasn't sure whether to actually name them or not i was so i'm glad you come down on one side of it it's uh, i think that's a fair fair decision um chris are you aware of the players who are out and as regards to that um does that make you concerned about tonight are, are they i think it's fair to ask are they key absences uh, if i'm honest i'm only aware of kind of Speculation. I right. think it's likely that Asa might have a little bit more insight with that. So, as I said, when we come, yeah, when we come to predicting lineup, I'm going to follow Asa's lead. Right. <laughs> Just in terms of, the, you know, that it'll be, um, you know, it, it, who he names will suggest who's out. Um, I, th- I think that the the um, um, uh, there seems to be some that that are that are clear and obvious. So they're the names that that that, that are doing the rounds but I 
But I, I still think we have, you know, I think we've got enough um, in the first team and also, you know, some of the younger players that are coming through that, that we that, that will be okay. I, I am curious about, about who these 13 backroom staff are. Obviously, that includes Pep and, that, you know, and, and, you know, I hope it's not too many of the medical staff or the physio staff, mm. you know, it's uh, because that, you know, we shouldn't underestimate how impactful that can be. Uh, because one thing that City has proven this the entire calendar year of, of 2021 is our medical staff and our physio team are, are world-class. They're exceptional in that our players don't stay injured for very long. Um, and, and they have a fantastic fitness regime. Uh, and so it, it would concern me if, if, there, if there's a gap there. I think playing wise, we can cover it. Just, I just hope there's mm. not too much missing in the background. I, that's, that's interesting. I've, I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm so old school that when I heard that 14 members of staff had COVID, I did think, <laughs> What is that? Everyone plus their wives. How many members of staff have we got? For God's sake! But of course, it's the modern age. Um, sorry, I said yeah. you're going to say something. Anyway. Um, I've got a question for both of you. If we had to feel field an entirely under twenty three side tonight, <laughs> uh, do either of you think that we would not win that game of football? Because I suspect that if we played an entirely under twenty three side, if you look at the talent in the under 23s i would expect us to win that game of football i agree and that's completely. not to disrespect and that's not to disrespect no. swindon at all that's absolutely not the point i think the point for me would more be i look at the under 23s and there's probably seven or eight players if not more who would certainly be playing in the championship already if not in the premier league I think it's. I think what it's for me. What's more to do with is it's the dynamic between the players. The system yeah, yeah. is embedded throughout the academy. Yeah. All the teams at all the levels and the ages uh, 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 subscribe to the same system which Pep has put in place. One of the challenges when we get a, a cup tie and we mix some young players with first teamers, they're still playing the same system. But it's about awareness of play. It's about dynamic. It's about the way players relate to each other. And we know, despite a system, there are still some players who, who do relate to each other better because they can anticipate better. So, so when you get the first full team out, they play perfectly. It's the system plus their understanding of each other. When you get an under-23 academy side out, it's the system plus their understanding of each other. When you mix the two, that's when it can be a little bit more challenging. So... If Adolfo went with a full under twenty three team, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me at all because they're still going to be a certain level. Yeah. Whether they are top six, League Two above that level, would have to remain to be seen. But I still think that that if they did that, I wouldn't have any concerns because that team plays together consistently throughout a season. So they'd just be transposing themselves to a different competition. You know what? That's such an interesting point because last season against Cheltenham. Um, there was Doyle and Howard Bellis, I think, in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. and we started poorly, went to go behind. Pep brought both off. Now, that is not to blame either player whatsoever. That ties in exactly with your point, Chris, where both players, you know, were basically right in the first team. What do I do here? Okay, I'll make this movement, I'll do that. Whereas when they're playing amongst their teammates, if you like, their usual teammates, it all comes naturally. And um, I think that's a really good point. It's actually better to have more, not less. Um, but I mean, tonight, I think, just completely contradicting that, I think he's going to have to go with experience. Every experienced man will basically be on the field, I believe, anyway. Um, which brings us to the lineups. And yeah, Asan, after you, sir. <laughs> 
Um, so I think it'll be Stefan Walker, Diaz, Ake, Cancelo, Rodri or Fernandinho, McAtee, Gundo, KDB, Jesus, Palmer. Okay, well, that team is right? obviously good enough to kind of get a result. Um, yeah. And a fascinating one as well. And I, 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 I've thrown Ake in there because I think Laporte might get a break tonight. Yeah, I could have put Laporte in there instead of Ake and shifted shifted Ake over to uh, to a left back where he's been playing. But I certainly think that we've got we've definitely got the players available to pick a bloody strong team, um, and I think that's really the most important thing. Uh, and I, you know, again, I'll throw it over to you two. I'd be interested to know. I feel that there's almost a, um, we, and I understand why we do it. We're supporters. There's a clamor to play young players when you play against lower league teams. But I do think that that can come off as a little bit disrespectful at times. And I also think that, you know, part of the being a trophy machine is ensuring that your best available players play in every game regardless of the of the opposition yeah do you do either of you feel that a game would you pick your strongest available team or would you mix it up because you look at swindon and you go well we can mix it up and therefore palmer should get minutes mcatee should get minutes well i would actually say that if you look back to that game against cheltenham for example and use that example again i would rather howard bellis and doyle have played against aston villa around that time than Cheltenham. Mm. I think it, it's actual, it, it, it doesn't make sense to play young players in an FA Cup tie away from home against lower league opposition in that kind of frenetic environment. Far better to put them on a Premier League pitch against Premier League opposition, I believe anyway. I know it sounds kind of, you know, counter, counterintuitive, but that, 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 there it is. And um, yeah, definitely. In, in, in the game of tonight's kind of standing, the type of game it is, start with your experienced men the players who, who've been around, you know, the block, the players who know how to control the tempo of the game, who know that basically Swindon very likely will just come flying at blocks and the crowd will be bang up for it and all the rest of it and just ride out that kind of opening 10 minutes and then just start to get a feel of the game and control it. That comes from experience. So I, I'd want experienced men on the pitch tonight, personally. I've never bought into the idea of throwing kids into a, a cup game against a, a lower league because it, if there's something at stake, you have to go for the win. 20 years ago, pre-takeover, I'd have said at this stage, play the experienced team because that would be, you know, the FA Cup would have been our only chance of winning anything. And and now the same thing applies because we want we still want, want, want to win things. I, I think it can be reckless to try and blood young players in an environment that could be potentially challenging for them because, you know, Swindon Town, they, they won't create a hostile environment, but, but but they'll create a very partisan environment. Mm. And, and that's not always easy for young players. And, and what young players want is to learn from the senior players around them. So, so w- when they come into a team, they want to have that framework, that support network on the pitch. So it means that if they screw up, they've got the more experienced players there. So I, I, I've always 
always said, play a stronger side. Try and find a way strategically to bring some young players in, but don't throw them to the Lions because because it because it can have a hugely damaging effect. As we saw when Pellegrini, I know his hand was was forced, but when he played all the young players against Chelsea in that FA Cup tie, you know it it didn't benefit them in the slightest. If anything, it would have had a really detrimental impact. So, uh, if something's at stake and we want to win, it's about the system. Guardiola chooses players that he thinks these can these can adhere to my system. That's why he he trusts Palmer, not just because Palmer has clearly a great deal of talent, but Palmer knows how to play the system. Yeah, and he'll only play the team the, the young players who can adhere to that really quickly and who are prepared to listen and sacrifice their own individual achievement for the sake of the team. So mm. yeah, I, I I would go with the stronger side. But pick the young players who can play the system because they get plenty of other football. And they also know that when you're trying to break into the City first team, it's very different to trying to break into a first team in the championship. You've got to be absolutely at the top of your game and one of the best in the country to, to be able to, 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 to do that. And, and, and at the same time, that then shows respect to the opposition. Because you know Swindon are doing okay, they're sort of, they don't score many goals, but they but but they they are doing okay. And Guardiola always respects the opposition, no matter who is playing. Um, mm. Hey, son, should the game go ahead tonight? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what does you, it say about kind of City that we've basically took this on the chin and and that we're continuing regardless? Because you know. I'm not throwing shade out there at Liverpool, but you know, I think it's a pertinent example that Liverpool didn't do that this week against Arsenal. Who? Sorry, <laughs> I, I never never heard of that team. Um so <laughs> I, I think that the the way that the way that I view this, just to be fair, uh were we playing Chelsea tonight in the yes, Premier League? Exactly. I suspect that Guardiola and the club would have an very, very, very different feeling about mm. whether the game should go ahead or not. I, th- I think that the game goes ahead because City look at it and go, we can field a team that can beat Swindon. So why would we ask for the game to be moved and to be called off? And I think the other thing, and it's, I, I think it's just, I think that City look at the idea of fixture pile, pileups later and go, nah. It probably is better to play the games now, even if the squad is reduced because of injuries or because of COVID, because we're in a good moment. We're playing well. As you say, everybody knows the system. It's, you know, you don't, you don't say we don't want to play the game until the point at which you've literally got to field only young players. I think that as long as you've got I would almost, I'd almost be prepared to argue if we've got nine or 10 of, of the 15, 16 that are the top of our squad, if we've got nine or 10 of them available, the game goes ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, just a quick word on Swindon. Um, we, we originally asked the Swindon Town Sport to come on, um, who runs a, kind of the club's social media. And unfortunately, due to work, he had to pull out the last minute. So it's only fair, obviously, to cover. The opponents and they beat Northampton on New Year's Day, who were lying second place. They're currently in the playoffs, but they had two defeats before the Northampton game, and they've also had their own kind of COVID problems. They had a, a spell of postponed games. Um, they've conceded, as Chris alluded to earlier, they've conceded 1.1 goals per game and aren't really kind of particularly prolific up front. 
Um, so it's not fantastic for a top six side. However, being in the top six is an achievement in itself. They very nearly went out of business six months ago until a mm. new uh, owner came in. Crucially, Jack Payne is out. He's their joint leading goal scorer and also, by some distance, their best player this season, uh, a midfielder. And Welsh international Johnny Williams is a serious doubt. And being Welsh myself, Johnny Williams, when he's on it, is such an underrated player. So they've got two, two big, big players. players for them. Yeah, and mm, so that's, obviously that's we've got our own problems. But them. yeah, it, when, when you go down to that level, then key absences really hit. Um, whereas we do have options. So um leads us to the biggest question of the day, really. I'll start with you, Chris. How do you see it playing out then, this one? We, I always anticipate, and again, it's a cliche that these lower league sizes, the crowd will be buoyant, and you know, and and, and they'll be, you know, they'll be loud, um, and they will try and use a, a benefit of a smaller pitch, and they will, you know, they will get in the face of the players. The, the, the stark contrast when you watch Championship teams and below is that they don't allow players any time on the ball. Whereas in the Premier League, players will have much more time on, on the ball because uh, defenders are a little bit more savvy and trying to try and anticipate. I've against Cheltenham in the first half last last season, I saw a lot of our players not being able to manage that situation. They were used to a little bit more time. So I, I expect well, I expect I expect Swindon to try and press as high as possible. What will be, what I think is key, and, and, and it's so often key at the beginning the first 10 minutes of any City game, is how quickly City take possession of the ball and keep possession of the ball and find that and find their rhythm. If in the first 10 minutes Swindon make it difficult for us to keep hold of the ball, it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting first half. Um, I'm sure that Swindon as well are disappointed that, the, that a, a full strength City team isn't coming to their, their ground and Pep Guardiola isn't coming to, to their ground because I'm sure that's, that, that's what they really wanted you know in, in, the, in the absolute you know dreamlike uh, possibility that they beat City they'd want to be beating a full strength City uh, but I, I, I anticipate that, that, that Swindon coming off the back of that, that Northampton win will aim to make it as difficult as possible um, it just depends how capable and, and to what extent City allowed them to to do that so I'd say frenetic first 20 minutes and then hopefully it settles back into the traditional pattern where City dominate possession okay uh, Aysan do you, do you agree with that yeah I mean I do think that you know the FA Cup is a great leveller cup competitions can be a leveller um, and I think the other thing with Swindon and it, I, I think I've, I've noticed this down the years it makes logical sense so um, the, and that's the idea that you know when you play lower league teams it's always worth looking at how they're doing in their league yeah. because it's almost like a team that is do- like a team like Swindon who are actually doing quite well in their league. They, as a, as a group, as a collective, they have confidence. Yeah. They have a, a, a sense of we can do something with our season and they tend to bring that onto the pitch. And that means that you have a genuine, uh, challenge in front of you do you know what i mean like you you you're not i don't expect us to arrive tonight and roll them over in the first 20 minutes i expect them to be obdurate and i expect them to be difficult to break down and i expect them to say to manchester city you have to be a very very good version of manchester city if you want to get past us tonight um and that's particularly away from home that's the magic of the cup 
Well, that's a great, that would be a great link to what we're going to talk about next. But first, I need your, your score prediction. What do you reckon? Three, three nil city. Okay, I'm going three one city. I think they might get a goal. Uh, Chris, um, I was going to go three nil, and then I was going to go three one. Go the same. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I, I think that they, they could nick a goal. So I'm going to go. No, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go two one. Okay, be a bit more conservative. Oh, and and Steve, I just need to say as well. It is. Um, is uh, when we uh, you didn't get the credit as you predicted the two one scoreline against Arsenal. So fair play, mate. Thank Your prediction you. Was decent on that one. Yeah, I've atoned myself for the Watford debacle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ace, I mentioned the magic of the cup there, and it's actually a subject I've been writing about this week. Um, to do so, I interviewed Peter Drury, who is just the greatest gentleman on God's planet. Um, <laughs> he actually went into Peter Drury mode during the interview. He spoke, he did a Peter Drury to me on the phone, and it was one of the biggest thrills of my life. He started talking about the mighty falling, and it was, it was amazing. Um, he strongly believes that there is magic in the cup. Um, hey, Sam, do you? Do you think it still exists? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh... I think that, and this is something that we will come on to talk about later as well. I think one of the one of the great challenges that we uh, face as football supporters is tuning the media out because mm. I think, and not in a not in the sense that oh the media are terrible or anything like that. It's just that our views are shaped by what we read, what we see, and when certain things become reinforced publicly, they seep into our consciousness and into our belief system whether they're true or not. And whilst people will say the magic of the cup is dead, I will I will counter that by saying, I don't know how many football teams there are in all the divisions across England, but I guarantee you that the supporters of all of those clubs want to win the FA Cup. Mm. Whether you go to the very top and you go, do City, do we want to win the FA Cup? Definitely, Yeah. Liverpool, Chelsea, United, Arsenal, who can turn their nose up at winning the FA Cup? Nobody can. So the idea that the magic of the Cup is gone, it's something that we've heard year after year because managers have gone, well, I'm fighting for survival in the Premier League, therefore I'm fielding a weaker side in the FA Cup. And immediately the media go, well, the magic of the cup is dead. And I just think, you know, when you look at ties like Swindon against City, yeah, or Cheltenham against City, or you listen to us when we talk about how do we feel about winning trophies, or you think about how we feel on the day of a cup final, or how any supporter feels on the day of a cup final, suggest that the magic of the cup is dead is basically to say that what what defines magic is the media and i don't think that they do i think that we all personally decide what is important for us as supporters well said man and i would go further as well and say that not only does a lot of club supporters want to win the fa cup there's also about 30 fan bases out there who believe every year that they're going to win the FA Cup, that yeah. this might just Absolutely. be their year. And Absolutely. It, it's that hope, it's that optimism, it's it's all positives. And yeah, the media just love taking away positives, but no, they're there. Um, just going back to Peter Drury and the line he used, um, which was the magic's there, 
if you know where to look for it. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, Chris, does it still exist for you? If I'm honest, it doesn't exist for me, but I know it still does exist. And I think th- I think Asan got it spot on. But the magic of the FA Cup is that at eight o'clock tonight, a team that is fifth in League Two is playing the best team in the country mm. it, on, on a level playing field in a, in a competition where they, where they they can progress. And for those players and fans of Swindon Town, that is magic because it's the opportunity. It's something that is out of, of the ordinary. The, the the FA Cup, I, I, I'm pretty confident, no longer holds the same level of status and reputation that it did in this country because the FA Cup final used to be categorically one of the number one sporting events of of the sporting calendar. Everybody tuned into the FA Cup, the the the, the, the televised coverage, regardless of where your your loyalties lay, it was it was a significant thing. And um, the flip side is, I experienced the magic of the FA Cup when Wigan beat us in, at Wembley in the final. Mm. And the magic of the FA Cup can go shove up his ass because that was not <laughs> ple- that, that was not pleasurable in the slightest. It was magic for Wigan. Yeah. But for City it was like, okay, you can shove your magic. So <laughs> I, I think I, I think I think it can be fun. Um, and I, and I think that the the so one of the most enjoyable things about it is when we get the draws, particularly in the like in the third, fourth, and fifth round of the draws. But I don't feel it's um, I don't feel it as much. However, I would not f- for a second deny, for example, Swindon Towns that their sense of opportunity, their sense of occasion. Um, to, Tonight, I, I feel it's a bit of a cliche that we we subscribe to, but at the same time, I recognise. I don't feel it, but I, I, it's a legitimate feeling that other people have. Absolutely. I mean, six months ago, Swindon were going out of business, and they had atrocious owners. Uh, they were run terribly, um, and now they're facing Manchester City. And going back to something that Aston said earlier, um, which is, oh, am I being you, Chris? Sorry, um, about wanting to face a full strength Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. It's Pep, isn't it? That's who we wanted to see. We are truly blessed to have that man because mm. if I was a Swindon fan thinking, oh, this is where I kind of sit at, at the ground and it's, you know, it's a small ground there and it's kind of, you know, I'll be close to Pep Guardiola. I'll be, mm. I'll see him in the flesh. I mean, that man's a legend and we have him and we take it for granted because we've had him for so many years. But he truly, if, if you're close up to Pep Guardiola, I don't know what I would say. <laughs> I would just melt. Um, yeah. We are of that stature now, and, it, and it's you know I know we're used to it by now, but it still it brings it home when we play a team like Swindon that that's how they're going to feel to face us tonight. Mm. Um, and I think you know the other thing, Steve Guardiola, uh, weirdly enough, as a non-English football obsessive, he holds the FA Cup yeah. in higher regard than most of the media, like. The FA Cup means something to Pep. You only need look at how he reacts when we go out of the FA Cup. Yeah. And even if some of it is his responsibility, like he really doesn't like that. I think the FA Cup means something to Pep. And, you know, that's, that's all that the, the, the thing about magic is. There's two ways of looking at magic. You can either look at magic as nostalgia. You can either look at magic as looking back on what the FA Cup meant. Or you can look at magic as the optimism 
and hope mm. of the future. Mm. And I think that regardless of which angle, which way you view it, whether you view it looking backwards or you view it looking forwards, there's still magic there. Well said, man. Um, okay, from the sublime to the absolutely and utterly racist, ridiculous Alan Davis's rant on the Tuesday Club uh, this week, coming a few days after Arsenal's defeat to City. Um, if you haven't heard it out there, um, I've put it up on Twitter. It's kind of widely getting shared around. Basically, Alan Davis and three others, I believe, on an Arsenal podcast. Um, and Davis just unleashes a ludicrous, hateful rant against City and all and our owners and and just everything, saying that we stink. Uh, we're bent, um, saying that our owners should go back to the desert. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris, because I think Gates has spoke last. Is it was it racist? Was it libelous? Was it hypocritical? Um, I, I I don't think it's uh, I I don't think it's libelous because it's 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 his opinion really. I, I, I don't. Uh, he states know. it as fact though. Hundred points yeah, bent. So I I I I, I would be surprised if that if that kind of if that kind of washed in court. I think um, um, I think it's I think it is very thinly veiled racism, and I think it's really clumsy. And I think the fact that he, he he's speaking to the echo chamber of an Arsenal fan base makes it even worse because he probably wouldn't say that. And I, I, I know it's it's there for everyone to access, but he wouldn't he wouldn't go on one of his uh, TV programs and and uh, and say that it's clearly deeply um, hypocritical. And I'm still I'm still trying to work out how I feel about it because part of me just wants to just laugh and go, "Yep, result, we've got you. Your your piss is 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 beautifully boiling, mm. and you're just one of many football fans around the country who who are unable to absorb and accept that City are." dominant and then the other side is where i look at it and i unpick some of the things that he said like you said about um he's saying uh, talking about that the city came with an attitude to football into the opposition to the institution that 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 is <laughs> arsenal and then he talked about 100 points isn't normal it's bent domestic travel isn't normal um it, it, it's bent and that everybody hates us and I'm just thinking what what worries me more is is what kind of attitude ensures that, that somebody with that kind of level of profile and even you know and he does have a level of profile yeah um, is prepared to talk in that manner and and spread untruths and falsehoods and it just again it's just reinforcing that thing about about what worries me more is 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 the lies more than the Suggestion, and so I'm still kind of battling with how I actually think about it. But what it is 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 it's 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 symptomatic of the erratic, hostile, and irrational attitude that people have towards City, um, and it's also symptomatic of how some people, when it comes to certain subjects, should not be given a public platform to to, to broadcast because if there are any if there are any Arsenal fans who were unsure or indifferent about City, now they will have an opinion embedded in for, coming from Alan Davis, which is troubling, um, un, unsubstantiated, and xenophobic and yeah it's, it's a, it was a really troubling broadcast that he did but I still struggle to know whether to take it seriously or not Hey Sam how did you respond to it when you first heard <laughs> I mean um, it, it made me laugh it genuinely I, I genuinely did laugh mm. um, I think 
he sounded a little bit like he was having a bit of a breakdown. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, he did. So you know, I, I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm almost loathed to talk about it in the sense that, look, I think that what one of the things that the last year or two uh, I've kind of come my way of thinking has shifted slightly is that, firstly, uh, I think that the legacy clubs, United, Liverpool, Arsenal in particular, I think their supporters uh, have the hardest time in palating and, and accepting City's success. I think that when the, the best way, the best example of that is, and I've heard supporters do it, where they'll go, if City didn't, if City hadn't won the lottery, we'd have won X amount of titles in the last five or six years, right? So that, that goes some way to showing that for those supporters of those clubs, they'll never really accept City and City's success because it has seriously impacted upon their ability to win things. So, you know, the, that I, I actually, I understand it perfectly well. You're used to winning. You're used to having things your own way. And it's not like that anymore. And you're upset about it. And I think the other thing, and this is something that Stefan said to me around the, the cast verdict. Stefan was like, you know, I know barristers and judges and lawyers and doctors who are some of the most highly competent and intelligent people you could ever imagine get them talking about football and they sound like they're on football Twitter. (laughs) And I think it was the, it was kind of this reminder that football is a place where tribalism is okay. Football is a place where actually you check your common sense at the door. I know without naming names, I know lads who support Liverpool, who are lovely lads, right? Who know football, know the history of football, and therefore know that Manchester City Football Club are as much an institution of English football as United or Liverpool or Villa or Everton or even Newcastle, right? But these lads now, when they talk about City, it's very extreme. It's either, you know... It, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna bore you with the cliches because we all know what they are. They just, they, they exist only in extremes, and they exist only to either be hostile. You know, it's that funny thing of we don't care, nobody cares about City, really, because you're all talking. I'm not talking. You're all talking. You gotta, if you dedicate an entire podcast to what we think about Manchester City, I think you probably are bothered about Man City. Yeah. If you know you lose to City. And you completely lose your heads in the fashion that Alan Davis did. City get under your skin. It's okay to admit and acknowledge that. It's okay to go, I hate being second best to Manchester City. Honestly, when you say nobody cares about City, nobody believes you, bro. Like, if, if, if we look at the bigger picture here, though, and, and, and this, this is what I struggle with a lot. Because football has played a significant role in my life throughout on many different levels. 
but I struggle with so much of the hypocrisy and and, and also it, it seems to occupy a place that no other institution occupies. So football is the most important sport in the world because it's the most accessible and and kids from any level of uh, uh, status and income uh, can can play football and that's why it is the most popular sport in the world and and it is a multi-million you know a billion dollar pound uh, industry and yet there are things at the heart of it which remain stuck in another Century. So as you said, Asan, when people talk about football from a partisan level, they check their intelligence at the door. And that seems to be accepted culturally that people talk shit when they're talking about football. And, and I, and I talk, I, I talk about the same about this cultural um, problems with attitudes towards um, officials in terms of all the responsibilities put onto them and not onto the players and the managers. And then decisions are made about um, uh, recruitment. So, for example, the very fact that Manchester United, one of, the, one of the biggest clubs in the world, appointed a former player based on sentimentality shows like what sort of you'd never have that in, in a larger conglomerate. Somebody who used yeah. to work, you'd never. Somebody would on the board would say, "No chance. He's not qualified to, to be able to do that." And so, so whilst I accept a certain level of interfan banter, what Alan Davis did has become commonplace it's become the default and i just don't think it is acceptable because because it's too much in football culturally which is unacceptable the sexism the racism the homophobia the general the general prejudice that exists the way people talk on the on the terraces that would never talk in any other public place and, I, and, and I'm finding it more and more that I, that's what I'm struggling with. And, and Alan Davis is a dick, right? I don't care what team he supports. He is a dick. And the fact that he feels he can do that is the most worrying thing. He, he doesn't think for a minute, is this acceptable? Is, is this appropriate? No. What it was was emotional, but also it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's an insight into, into, into the concessions that football does make culturally. And so whilst, and I agree, I laughed at it as well. But it makes you think about the bigger problem, which I think is only going to get worse. And at the minute, in this country, City is very much the main target for that. But mm. I, I just it does it, it is indicative of a bigger problem, which has existed for decades and decades. And, and it just you know, the fact it's so public just worries me. You know, the, I think the thing is that we're all, and I, I mean this with the best will in the world when it comes to football. I think on on some level we're all hypocrites. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think you're, I think I understand what you're saying, right? But I, I would counter what you're saying by saying from the moment that Abu Dhabi arrived, the stench of racism in the media from opposition supporters has been just inescapable. Mm. It hasn't changed, hasn't gotten better or worse. It's just always been there. Yeah. I, I remember that, um, and I'll, I'll use this as, as an example because it's it's an example of a writer who his, is himself a minority and who is generally lauded as one of the best football writers in England. Jonathan Liu did a piece, uh, whoever he wrote for, the summer that we signed Riyad Mahrez, right? And he called Riyad Mahrez a talented schmuck who had signed for City to sit on the bench. And the way that he characterised City um, buying Mares to me, 
it felt very much like you would describe a sheikh buying lions or tigers for his garden, right? Mm. Now, when somebody who is a talented writer, somebody who is himself a minority, cannot see the problematic way in which they are writing about another football club's owners. It just, I think we're, I don't think really that anything is about to change. And I don't think really that we should genuinely, I don't think we should pay it any mind. I think that what I believe that what the only thing that will give satisfaction to the people outside of the city bubble right now is if they can find a way to take away from our experience. So my kind of the way that I viewed this for the last year or two is, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in anything that takes away from my experience. I'm not going to, for me to, for me to be bothered, I have to care. And honestly, it doesn't matter to me what Alan Davis or the lad from the Red Index or the Anfield Rap or whatever the United um, uh, 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 podcast is, or, you know, whether it's Miguel or it's, you know, Rory from Didsbury or, you know, all of these guys, right? Like, it's cool. Like, ev- I, 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 uh, I want everybody to have the freedom to use their platform in whichever way they want to use their platform. And in the same way that when I walk down the street or the people in my life, not everybody will love me. Some people will think I'm a twat. In that same way, I totally accept that my football club by the very virtue of the fact that it has limitless money, Arab owners, and is more successful than everybody else in the league and has been for the last decade, we're going to be hated. But, but, we're talking, right. but, we're, but we're talking about the way that that hatred and contempt is expressed. So, and, if we do, and, and so if, if, if opposition football forums or podcasts want to say it's unfair they've got loads of money yada 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 that's fine but when they contextualize it to do with race to do with heritage that is deeply problematic and if we don't challenge it we are condoning it in the same way as if i'm sat if i'm if, if i'm sat in the south stand and some moron who's a City fan makes some thinly veiled racist slur or homophobic slur to somebody on the pitch. If I don't challenge it, I'm condoning it. And, I, and the point I'm making is that culturally, it seems more acceptable to, n- to not challenge it because it seems to be part of football. What Alan Davis did, his, his childlike berate, ber- berating of City, okay, um, is predictable. Uh, that's acceptable. But the way he contextualized it to do with the heritage of the owners is unacceptable. Mm. And, and, and the problem is, is that when we challenge it, as City fans, we're accused as being as partisan as, as the people who were making those statements in, in, in the first place. And so I accept that we're going to be unpopular but there's a line that is crossed when it stops being about City's dominance and City's excellent coaching and system. And it, and it becomes about the lazy narrative, which is about foreign ownership. And, mm. and, and it's a constant debate that we have to keep having. We have to challenge that level of prejudice, no matter where it exists. And I go back to my early, earlier point that it only seems to be 
in football where the most tired and antiquated and unacceptable of prejudices are still allowed to occur. We are still debating whether uh, about the status of, of gay footballers in, 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 the, in the biggest sport in the world. The fact that we're still having that conversation yeah. about female officials, okay? <laughs> yeah. The fact we're still having that conversation shows how backward-looking football is, and it's reinforced with the culture around it, whether it's from fans, whether it's from football clubs, or whether it's from the, the, the media. It's an ongoing debate. And whilst mm. Alan Davis can be firmly put into the box of you just are a, you are just a partisan moron, at the mm. same time, he should be, you know, if that was anybody else, there would be a call for the, him to answer to that. He would be having contracts cancelled, okay? But then we look at the bigger picture. The Prime Minister can say whatever he wants and he's not called to task either. So I'm going mm. off on it, but I, 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 just think, I just think we always have to balance between dismissing somebody as being the village idiot, but also what is the ripple effect they're going to have? How many Arsenal fans have now subscribed to that attitude because he said it. And That's the thing, though. Yeah. Sorry, he's not a village idiot. That's, I mean, because there are plenty of village idiots out there who do podcasts and they have rants about Manchester City. And we all know who they are. There's plenty of village idiots who, who pass themselves off as journalists as well. But Alan Davis is not a village idiot. And I suspect, and I hope, that he sincerely regretted his rant. I think he wrote it or he wrote notes on it in pure anger. Um, and, you know, he probably felt kind of cathartic afterwards in saying it but then half an hour after that podcast I sincerely hope that you know this left-leaning politically minded person really regretted what he said because what he said was over the line as you said Chris it it crossed the line by several miles for me it infuriated me there's no excuse. The, the, a village idiot. No, okay, it's, it's, it's not. It's not a great phrase to use because it refers back to a time when people were kind of oh, marginalised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's somebody who takes no responsibility or doesn't have the capacity to take responsibility for their actions or their words. Okay, and the fact is, is that whether he apologised it for not, he did it. Okay, mm. control yourself. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I think he's worse than somebody who doesn't have the emotional intelligence to gauge what he says. He's exploited the fact that he has that platform. He's exploited mm. the fact that he has thousands and thousands of followers on social media who will go, hmm, that's a curious one. If Alan Davis says it, then it can't be racist. It can't be xenophobic because he said it it's worse it's somebody exploiting their position of a certain level of quote intelligence and status to do that it's worse than somebody who has no status mm. and, and no emotional intelligence so and, and and it just it's the ripple effect for the next 10 years now in a, in a in a hopefully not a majority but certainly a minority of arsenal fans we are now the oil bastard dirty cheating disrespectful team who should fuck off to 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 the desert okay we can laugh about that but that just creates more prejudice because it's not just about the football it's about the ownership i completely agree but i I agree but i guess i guess my my feeling is just you know we exist in because football is very particular as a um uh, as a place as a world as a you know a thing that we all live and we experience and like i said at the beginning of this discussion i think it it does bring out the worst in in all of us a lot of the time and i think you know hypocrisy is rife and it's something that something that really jumped out at me this week and i think perfectly encapsulates why it's almost impossible to um 
to try and have a rational conversation about these things that the Anfield Rap did a really big blog about uh, Leicester fans singing, singing Feed the Scousers, yes, right? Yeah. And it was a very... Uh, I completely understand why why Neil wrote the blog that he wrote. But then a Liverpool fan replied and said, what about what we sung at Billy Gilmore when we went to Norwich? And it's like that interaction lays bare the problem. The problem is that as football supporters, we're all hypocrites. Because personally, before I write a blog about what somebody else sings at me, I'm going to have the awareness to first think about what we sing and then consider whether me taking a stand on this particular thing is going to come off as hypocritical. I understand why the Anfield Rap didn't, but it's almost impossible to navigate some of these conversations because you're not talking about one guy you're talking about a stadium full of 60 or 70,000 people when we talk about social media or we talk about the media in general we're not talking about one guy the way Sam Lee writes about Manchester City or the way that Jack Gorn writes about Manchester City differs hugely from the way that Jonathan Wilson or Jonathan Liu write about Manchester City. You could take articles about the same match from the four of them, and you could be forgiven for thinking that they're articles about different sports, let alone a different match. So, but but Asan, you what you so what you're saying there is before you write anything or say anything, you apply your your individual moral framework before you open your mouth or before, before, before you type on your keyboard to ensure that you're not explicitly as hypocritical as everybody else. And I think we all do that. And I think one of the strengths, and I'm bound to say this with my, my blue glasses on, but one of the strengths of this particular part is I feel that while sometimes we can say partisan things and laugh about it, generally we take an objective viewpoint and we'll criticise our team and club when they're open for, for criticism. But generally we won't just throw out verbal grenades for the, for the sake of it. I go back to my point that there that that there are not that that isn't the that isn't the default that isn't the the common thing that people do. A majority of people will just throw out their prejudice based on what their emotions are. The point that I'm making is, and if this is a massive obstacle to overcome, is football generally as an institution says indirectly it's okay to do that. The fact Jonathan Luke can say those things, Jonathan Wilson can say those things, it's it's endorsed indirectly. It's condoned. Mm. And so in the same way that I can fe- I can be on a football pitch at a grassroots level and be talked to like I'm a criminal and be threatened and feel unsafe, that seems to be okay in that 90 minutes of football because culturally that's that as people say, it's football. I find that unacceptable because People should be responsible for their actions and outwards, no matter what the environment or the context with which they do it. Now, I know that that basically I'm trying to trying to you know completely overturn an entire institution, entire culture. But I think it always needs a, a addressing. Is that there are some things in football which are really unseemly, 
and it's the cultural attitude. And and I go back. Alan Davis said that because he he knows that in football, it's okay to say it. It's football. It, 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 it's emotional. It's irrational. You wouldn't apply that to any other part of your life and you wouldn't apply it to any other institution that plays such a dominant role in people's lives. So I think it's deeply problematic and all we can do individually or collectively is to keep addressing it. Because if we, if anyone on this pod had had turned around and said something like that, I'm off the pod because that well, would be my in, in, individual moral framework and go, I'm out of here. I will not be associated with this. And sadly, I think that that doesn't necessarily apply to a lot of other football media. I think that's a really good point about that point there because there are times when anger and emotion and passion gets the better of all of us. And there's been times, for example, let's use Liverpool as an example, something happens between City and Liverpool and then you know, a podcast is coming up. Now, People who listen to this podcast will know that I'm not the biggest fan of Liverpool Football Club. They'll know that if I went off on one and really went off on one, you know, I would say things that I regretted later, you know. You don't say it. You don't say it because that is your passion talking. That's your emotion talking. You don't really mean it. You know, a lot of Liverpool fans who I'm mates with, they're mates more than they're Liverpool fans to me. But then if we start talking about football, you know, I I might say something about their club which you know, they'd find offensive and vice versa. But you don't really say it. You don't mean it. It's, it's your, your kind of ethical boundaries are far stronger than anything else, or they should be. And Alan Davis's weren't that day. So I think you're right, Chris, when I said that he hopefully regretted what he said. Perhaps he didn't, because anyone of any kind of ethical mind would know not to say that on a podcast. You know, not to kind of air those thoughts, to basically feel it for a day and then it passes. But, you know, you don't say it out to the public like it's normal and like it's acceptable because it's fucking not acceptable what he said. Not by any stretch. I'm really sorry yeah. to kind of come across as a moral crusader, but I just I feel that if Alan Davis came out to, today and said... I stand by what I said. I'd have more respect for him. Yeah, at, least no, I, yeah, yeah. at least I yeah. would know where he stands. As yeah. Nelson mm. Mandela said, I'd rather sit and have a meal with my enemy who says that he can't bear me than someone pretend that they can. And I and I and I go with that completely. I'd rather yeah. know where I stand with that. But he won't. When someone comes out and apologizes, I just think, are you a child? Like, are you are you unable to engage your brain before you open your mouth? Uh, of which social media is is the key driving component for. It thrives on erratic, irresponsible statements which come out one day and then apologise for the, the the following day because what you get is clickbait. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I think. Go on. You want to you want to move this? Well, forward, no, no, no. Only because of time. I think it's a fascinating discussion. So as long as you two are okay carrying on, so you go for it, Sam. I was just going to say that I think that um, as a as a final word from me. Um, I do believe that a lot of this stuff is unique to football. And I, I do think that one of the things that the, the best advice I could give anyone listening um, is enjoy the best football team in the world. <laughs> that's yeah. what we have. And the best football manager in the world, because that's what we have. And allowing the outside to condition or affect your enjoyment of it um, is not worth it. It's that simple. Yeah. I, I, I just want to kind of lastly say that 
and kind of contradicting a lot of what you've both said, and, and I agree with a lot of what you both said, and I know this kind of contradicts that, but I've been actually quite encouraged by how ridiculous it's getting now and how mm. quite overtly, you know, small-minded it's getting now. So Alan Davis's rant is a perfect example of that. The arrogance of that man to say what he said. Never mind anything else, the arrogance of him to say, get out of our football, of our league. We've won a league five times, you twat. What have you done? What's, what's your club done in the last 10 years? Who the hell do you think you are to tell us to get out of the league? You get out of the fucking league. You know what I mean? <laughs> the arrogance maybe of that man could, to say that, though, is unbelievable. May, maybe they could go to Rwanda. Maybe exactly, maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe maybe they could maybe they could relocate um, Arsenal to Rwanda. Fucking, fucking piss off back to Rwanda, you twat! You know, I mean, even hell. But furthermore than that, there's an article by Johnny Nicholson in um, the Irish Examiner this week. Let's pretend that Manchester City don't exist, so we can enjoy this title tussle. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, put that into my arms. Feed that into my arms because that's beautiful. That's because that's ultimately, like you said earlier, Sam. That's what it comes down to. They can't yeah. take it anymore. But also, mm. going a season undefeated with the Invincibles, is that normal? No, it's yeah. Ben. No, yeah. it's not Davis. What it is, it's a remarkable sporting achievement of a team that was dominant at, at, at the time. And anybody with any football sensibility or a love of the game, I can look back and look at that football, that, that achievement by Arsenal and go, well... We haven't done that yet. We've got hundred points, but we haven't. We haven't mm. gone. Uh, we're not. We've not been invincible in it through an entire season. So, yeah, it, it's just. I think I agree with Asam. Nothing now. Nothing now prevents me from enjoying this golden period <laughs> at City. Nothing. I just grieve the fact that things have changed so much, and it's not about looking back. It's about my expectation of people in society my expectation of other people who enjoy the same sport as much as I do. And it does concern me that things that Alan Davis does, things that the media do, it's, it's, it's not just going to be exceptional to Pep Guardiola's reign. It's going to become the new norm. Mm. And, and, and I feel incredibly alienated um, from that. But none of this, none of this conversation prevents me from sitting there smug on New Year's Day after beating Arsenal going, we're top of the league by a distance, probably going to win another title. It doesn't it doesn't change anything. I, I, it just depresses me that everything else around it has to be so predictably pre- prejudicial and downbeat. Okay. Well, let's end today on um whilst discussing the fact that you know Arsenal fans consider us to be all about money. Let's end with uh, potential <laughs> <laughs> fucking <laughs> With us potentially signing the most promising centre forward in the world, um, Harland, it's it's back on the agenda. It, it seems to be that this might well be happening. Um, Aysan, I'll come to you first. Do you think this will happen? Are you wholly in favour of it? I'm wholly in favour of it, um, but I don't think it will happen. Right. I, uh, okay. I uh, unfortunately, I don't think that. City really ever get involved in transfers like this in any serious fashion. I'm sure that, you know, I think one of the things about, one of the things about being this modern version of City is that, you know, there's some big players that there's no, there's nothing wrong with you being linked with them. There's nothing wrong with the world thinking that, you know, City could sign Erling Haaland this summer. I think that 
City don't have a problem with that because Haaland is the one of the preeminent talents in world football. So it's normal that we would be linked with him. But I think, and it, I guess it's just about appetite for that type of signing. I think City have shown uh, time and time and time again that that they prefer the less uh, competitive uh, transfer target. If that makes sense, yeah. I don't. I don't see them. I don't see them going quote unquote head to head with Real Madrid or head to head with Barcelona. I think that for Haaland to happen to City, Haaland has got to say to City, "I want to join your football club." And then City will go, okay, well, then we'll agree a fee with, uh, with Dortmund and we'll agree a contract with you. But it's difficult to view, it's difficult to see, uh, Haaland in the position that he's in with the hype that he's got and the profile that he's got making that call or his team, team Haaland, uh, making the call that, well, we want to go to City. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm cynical about that. And actually, I don't really have a problem with it. I, I was going to say, if Haaland doesn't come out and say that, or you know, through back channels say it's City for me, I'd like to come to you. If he doesn't say that, do you, do you think City will still have a hat in the ring? Do you think they will still basically make it clear to Dortmund, yes, we're interested, and then essentially back off, let the feeding frenzy happen? But you know, they're still in contention. Um, or do you think they actually physically will just not play any part in it? No, I think the problem, right, which is actually a plus but it's also a, a minus, is that he's got a really affordable release clause. Mm. Generally what happens is first there's a massive haggle over the transfer fee, and then there's a haggle over the contract, and you have these two haggles going on at the same time, and that's what tends to draw these things out and make these transfers, even once the window opens, quite long and drawn-out processes. I don't view Harlan like that because of how... In, in comparison to his talent, if you look at the release clause, it's so nominal for the types of clubs that would sign Haaland that it's really going to be more a case of him deciding where which club he wants to join. And I don't think that City would get to, for example, the end of May and go, we don't know if he's coming or not because he's not decided. I... Uh, I think that they would prefer, they would view it like this. He ain't that committed to coming to us. If he was committed to coming to us, he'd say, I want to come to you. We'd, we'd activate this release clause and he'd be a city player in 48 hours or 72 hours, however long it takes. Um, but I just, maybe I'm pessimistic because of what happened with Kane last summer. Maybe I'm pessimistic because I've, I feel as though. City and the owners and the board pl have played a really cute game in the last four or five years where we tend to be linked to a lot of very, very big players. We generally never buy very, very big players. Um, we tend to have a very focused and streamlined transfer strategy. Um, it tends to always be limited by finances, regardless of what the world outside thinks. Um, and so, and I just, I'm not sure that Haaland fits neatly into City's strategy. The only, I guess the only counter to that would be, um, they understand that, that every project needs a marquee player. They understand the fact that Aguero was their marquee for, for a decade. And they understand the fact that he is gone. 
So they will be conscious of the fact that they need to replace Aguero. But I think that in as there are other players around Europe who probably more represent Sergio Aguero when we signed him. I think that Haaland yeah. is, is already past that. He's already at absolute, undeniable world superstar, top three players in the world in his position. You know, just everything about Haaland screams Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, because those are the clubs that like to flex in that way and City tend not to flex in that way. Please don't come and yell at me on Twitter. <laughs> and I am I am genuinely just a little bit conditioned by what happened last summer and also the way that I kind of, I surmise from the past how City operate, pushing that forward into next summer. I'm more of the opinion that the lad at Sociedad, Alexander Isaac, or the Italian lad Vlahovic, not the guy who plays in Italy, Vlahovic, or even the the Darwin Nunes lad at, at Benfica. I personally feel we're more likely to to be in that market than we are in the Erling Erling Haaland market. Chris, I've got a kind of different question for you. Still concerned in Haaland, mm-hmm. um, hypothetical, but let's say City are where we are now by the end of the season, so nothing's changed as regards to the squad. There's no serious injuries and the like, or no one moving on. If you were given the option now of City signing a centre-forward in the summer, whether it be Haaland or or someone else, and that's it, would you be perfectly happy with that? Yeah, I mean, you you strengthen from a position of strength. Yeah. So if we if we win the title and got latter stages or even found the Champions League, that means we've 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 continued from the same form of last season. And so you need to strengthen from from, from that particular position of, of, of dominance. I subscribe to everything that that, that Asan says. And people who have who genuinely have a lot of money and spend it well find talking about money undignified, and that applies to mm. our owners. They will not get into mm. a. Well said. A kind of you know a, a market bazaar, but bartering situation. They'll say, "I've got the money. Do you want to come? If you don't, I'm out, I'm out of here." And and as as we've said, we were stung by Kane. We were stung by Jorginho to some extent as well. And City will just walk away because they can afford to to walk away. Even more so now, we can afford to walk away because we have such a fantastic squad. Who doesn't have? We don't have an out and out um, number nine, but hey, it isn't affecting us. Asan said about it'll come down to what Haaland or Team Haaland wants. Wants that's where my concern comes. Is if Haaland says I want to play for City, I want to play for Pep Guardiola, it would it, it sadly will not be that simple because he has too many people in his team that he has to pay, which and that will that will be significant. But it's you got you don't buy someone like Haaland. And don't have the entire circus that comes with it in terms of the profile, in terms of the response. Um, but to go back to your, to, to your question, if we get Haaland, that would be great. If we don't get Haaland, I'm fine with that. Okay. So I'm feeling a little, I'm not feeling indifferent, but I'm not, I'm certainly not feeling the way I felt about Harry Kane because for a period of time, I, I really committed to the idea of him coming. And when he didn't, I just thought that is a shit show. I don't want to, I don't want to see repeated for my club to, 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 to be involved in. And mm. um, if he comes, he comes. I just don't want the anxiety of having to wait to see. If he's not committed by it by, by beginning of May, 
City should walk away. Okay. I don't think you can have a transfer. I don't. I think to be really well run, I don't think that you can have a transfer strategy uh, with too much uncertainty in a position of such importance or a position of such weakness within your squad. And I think that we paid the price for that last summer. We had a strategy that was focused solely on Harry Kane and it didn't happen. And as much as publicly Guardiola said that he was happy to go into the season with what he had, he really wasn't. Because if he was, we wouldn't have been desperately trying to sign Harry Kane and we wouldn't have been prepared to spend the money that we were prepared to spend on Kane. Um, And I think that's the other thing that, you know, City will spend money, like, you know, $100 for Jack Grealish tells you they ain't afraid of spending dough that's not the thing it's really what chris said it hits the nail on the head it's almost undignified to our owners to be going well how much are you going to pay me because it's like we're we're we pay top players top wages but if you're going to come in and go well no actually sir 350 isn't enough for me i'm going to need 480 because real madrid over there they're prepared to pay me 480 our owners will go well you are more than welcome to walk to real madrid then yeah and particularly with agents as well i found in the past as well just from the outside looking in, it seems to be that city's owners they don't take any shit off agents uh it's happened before with eden hazard famously um so if you're talking about team harland and the kind of the team he has around him that might well be a factor um, you know, there's also, I think the De Bruyne example is actually the best example. And in many respects, I think that for better or for worse, what happened with KDB probably reinforced to the club the way they do things is right. Yeah. So with KDB, uh, there was a bigger offer from PSG, both to Wolfsburg and also to KDB's agent. There was an enormous amount of pressure from Wolfsburg and from KDB's agent to take the PSG offer. And De Bruyne just turned around and went, no, I want to go to Manchester City. So ergo, City didn't have to up their bid and they didn't have to up their contractual offer to De Bruyne because De Bruyne just went, well, no, I'm not going to Paris. I'm going to Man City. So I think that you, there are players, top players with, uh, top options who will consider these things purely from a footballing point of view and where i'm arrogant is there is not a better football project on the planet than manchester city so if you as a top level player have any ambitions to be the best and you choose any other club over city after city roll the red carpet out you're not making a decision based on football all right Uh, well i completely agree with that last statement um Okay, guys, it's time to wrap it up. I really enjoyed today. Uh, we've got a lot of ground. And um, and thank you both. You've been excellent. Thank you, Asa. Mate, loved it. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure, mate. These, these just get better and better. It was, that was great stuff. Um, well, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to remind Rodolfo Burrell of our left-back credentials. You, you, <laughs> just, you never know. In the meantime, take care of yourselves more than ever. And as always, forever up the magnificent blues. <laughs>